as you are exploring, you're kind of getting out to the place in the wilderness where you don't really know where you are anymore. You've gotten past that certain point where you're a little bit lost at this point. You don't know really how to get back where you are. And your friends turn around and say, you know what? We're going to head back. But you say, you know what? No, there is a hill over there. I want to go climb that hill and I will meet you guys back later. So your friends leave and you are all by yourself. But the problem is it's late afternoon. Maybe it's five o'clock, almost six o'clock in the afternoon. So the sun starts to go down. The only problem with being outside in a place you've never been is when the sun goes down out there in the mountains, you know there's not really any light out there. It gets really dark. You guys know what it's like to be in the really severe pitch black darkness out in the wilderness. Now, imagine as you're taking this exploring adventure, you are out in the wilderness and it is dark. And at this point, once it gets dark, you lose track of how you got there. So you have no idea where you are. All you know is you've walked two or three or four miles since you were at camp and you're out and you're stuck and you're by yourself. Well, that's scary, especially when you're not at home because it's really cold, really dark, and you might be really afraid at that point. There's no light. There's nothing going on. Then imagine in the distance, after you've been calling out for maybe an hour or so, an hour has passed, maybe two hours, maybe three hours, maybe it's almost close to midnight and you're cold, and you're freezing. And then, out of nowhere, you look over your shoulder, and you hear something. You hear something, and you look over, and you see one single solitary flashlight. You say, I know somebody's looking for me. You look, and you see that light. What do you do in that moment? How do you feel in that moment? You're probably relieved, excited. Finally, someone is here to help me. Someone's here to come and save me. And you look at that light, and what happens when you see that light? You say, oh, it's too, it's too bright. I, I, I don't want to look. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go the other way. No, absolutely. if you want to be found, you say, I'm going to run straight towards that light. Now, I said that's an imaginary situation, and hopefully it is imaginary. Please don't run away from camp. That would be really bad because we'd have to come find you. But although it's an imaginary situation for you maybe at winter camp, that is actually a real situation that some of you are in right now. Some of you right now, as I speak, are in a situation and in a state that the Bible calls darkness and you need light. You're in a place that's dark. And if you stay in that darkness, not only are you going to get cold and not only are you going to freeze and maybe starve to death, you're going to have to face God on judgment day. And some of you are right there. You're in that darkness. Today in the gospel of John, Jesus offers hope to you. Jesus says that I am the light of the world. And if you look at me and you come follow me, you will have life. You don't have to die in the darkness. You can have light and life. So I want you to open up your Bibles. Let's turn to John chapter 8 and see where Jesus says this. It's so important that you understand that Jesus claims to be the light of the world. That means he's the light, not just for people who lived 2,000 years ago. That means he's also the light for you. Problem is, we don't necessarily see our need for light when we live in a world that we think we're just fine. But we think we're in the light. But the problem is, God says that without Jesus, we are really living in darkness. And we'll explain a little bit of that more later. But as you turn to John 8, I want you to remember, where are we? What city are we in? What time of day is it? That's kind of hard to answer all those questions. But if you remember from John chapter 7, we are in the city of Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles. And what I said was, last week we took that little break from the normal. And we looked at John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11 really started in John 7, 53 to 8, 11. And we said, well, this 
little section of, of scripture probably wasn't really in the scriptures. So I think the logical flow here is it goes straight from John chapter 7 verse 52 to John chapter 8 verse 12. That's what all the earliest manuscripts say. So that's what I believe as well. So we are on the last day of the feast. This feast of tabernacles where the people came to Jerusalem and they pitched all these tents. They basically were camping in the middle of a city. So they'd take rooftops, they'd take the side of street corners, and they'd all be bringing their, their special fancy tents, and they would live in the tent for a, a week as they got to celebrate what happened to their ancestors a long time ago. They celebrated how God led the Israelites through the wilderness. And there was that symbol on the last day of the feast. The priest took this big thing of water on a hot, dusty October day, and he dumped this water out on this big altar, and it splashed everywhere. And that was a symbol that God has taken care of his people and he gave them water in the wilderness. Well, there's another symbol that happened that day that I think Jesus is referencing here. There's a symbol because what happened later on in the evening was there wasn't just a water symbol, there was also a symbol of light. These people would light these lanterns and torches and it was a lot like, you know, the movie Tangled? You know the movie Tangled with uh, Rapunzel and uh, that, that dude uh, with the cool hair? Uh, you know him? Uh, that movie. There's that ceremony. You know that ceremony where they light all the lamps and then all of them just float away and, and, and stuff? That is what I picture the city of Jerusalem looking like at this point. Remember, this is the ancient world. They didn't have electricity. They didn't have cities that were lit up. It was one of the very rare nights of the year where this big city is lit up with lights and lanterns everywhere. Now imagine that with lights in the temple, lights in the streets, lights everywhere where people are celebrating that God has given the people light. And guess what Jesus stands up and says? I am the light of the world. I'm not just a light like one of these lights. I am the true light of the world. What does that mean? Check out verse 12. As again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but we'll have the light of life, which I guess means if we don't have Jesus, we are walking in darkness. That's really what he's saying there. And he's saying that to a group of people that should understand what light and darkness is. And I want to dive into that a little bit more, but I want you to understand what Jesus is offering right here is life for you. He's offering light to people who are in darkness. And the problem is a lot of us don't think we're in darkness. We think, well, I mean, I know who Jesus is. Like, I'm not in dark. I'm not one of those people that is in darkness. But the problem is the Bible says that every single person, when they are born, they're born in a state of sin, of separation from God, born in darkness, like Batman, right? Born in the dark, I guess. Um, but needing light. So that's what Jesus is going to get at here, that he is the only hope for people. So I want us to write that down for point number one. Before we get any further, I want you to look to Jesus as the only hope, as your only hope for truth and life. Look to Jesus as your only hope for truth and life. You might say, well, where, where do you get the whole truth and life idea? Well, I think that's what Jesus is talking about when he calls himself the light. When light is used in the Bible, and even when it's used in the Gospel of John, it's referring to two main things. I think it refers to more than two things, but these are the two main things. I want you to think about what John said at the beginning of his Gospel. This is John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Here's what the author says, talking about Jesus here, in him was life. In Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men. Basically saying life equals light. That's the symbolism here. Then it says, light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So whatever's going on with Jesus being the light and giving truth or, or life, he is giving life. 
and the darkness cannot outshine the light. It's a lot like when you have a little tiny, tiny flashlight in a deep, deep, dark place. Guess what? It shines bigger and brighter than ever. When you're in a room full of light, if I shined a flashlight, or if I shined a flashlight from my phone and I shined it, you know, towards this wall, it wouldn't even make any difference because there's all this light going on. But if it was pitch black, dark in here, my light would illuminate it like crazy. What Jesus says is he's the solitary, single, only light for this dark world, which means he's the only hope that we have. If we want to have life, if we want to know the truth about ourselves, the truth about God, Jesus is the only light. He's the only person that can tell us the truth. The Bible talks about how light is a reference to, to God. And I want you to write down another passage. This is from John's letters. This is 1 John chapter 1, verses 5, 6, and 7. We can write that down. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. Here's what it says. This is the message that we heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship, if we say we have a relationship with God while we walk in darkness, we are lying and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have a good relationship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What he's saying is every person is either in the light or in the dark. We can't be half in the light, half in the dark. You're either one or the other right now. Jesus says, you have to look to me. If you don't follow me, the only light, then, then you're in the darkness. I said that the Bible talks about light and it talks about how God is light and how there's some references here. I want you to realize, I talk about this a lot, but when Jesus speaks to these people, in order for us to really understand what he's saying, we have to jump into the mindset of the people he's talking to. Does that make sense? Just like when I, if I was talking about Tangled with you, if someone in 2,000 years listened to this sermon and said, Tangled, what's Tangled? What's wrong with his hair? Is there something wrong with someone's hair? Tangled. They said, no, 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 that's a reference to a movie and you guys get it, right? unless you don't get it. But hopefully you understood what I was talking about with the lights, right? That's a cultural thing that someone 2,000 years from now would have to like come back and study. That's what we have to do with what Jesus is saying. Jesus makes references to things in his culture that we have to understand. And I think the main document that he references is the Old Testament. So I want us to take a quick look at the Old Testament and say what it says about light and God. Okay? The first thing that I want you to think about, when, Jesus, or when the Father, Jesus, when God showed up and talked to Moses, when God talked to Moses for the first time in Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, Exodus 3, verse 2, what did God look like? How did he disguise himself? What was he in? If you remember this, he was in a burning bush, right? If you uh, leave this sermon and start burning a bush, you're going to be in trouble. So don't do this. This is not application. It's not application question number one. How many bushes have you burned down? That's not what the point is. But God showed up in a burning bush. And it was a weird experience because when Moses saw this bush, it was on fire, but it wasn't burning down, which is weird. That's a miraculous thing that God was doing. He shows up. He sees God as light. Now, when God led the people of Israel in the wilderness, how did he lead them? One way that he led them during the day was with this pillar of cloud, right? And the pillar of cloud went up and it led the people and Moses and all the people followed uh, this pillar of cloud. Now, what happened at nighttime? How were they led at night? They were led by a pillar of fire, of light, right? 
I think that's actually what these guys are celebrating here. They're celebrating how God led the people as this great light. Now, later on in the book of Exodus, when Moses starts talking to God on Mount Sinai, and he comes down and he sees the people, what does his face look like? You guys remember this? What did Moses' face look like after he was talking to God? What did it look like? It was shining. It was glowing. It was light because he was seeing light. Do you see how if the Old Testament makes all these references, Jesus is like stepping into all these references and saying, that's me. Like the burning bush, like that's me talking to, to Moses. On the mountain, yeah, that's me talking to Moses. Leading the people, oh, that, that's me. It's like he's stepping into all of that and saying that was all talking about me. I think the Bible goes further in the Old Testament. If you think about this passage, it's a good one for you to write down. Psalm 119, verse 105. Psalm 119, 105. You might know this verse. Talking about the word of God. What does the author say? He says, your word, talking to God, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's like being out in the wilderness, not knowing where you're going in the darkness. If you have a lantern, if you have a flashlight, it's good because it can show you what the truth is. It can show you where you're going. He says, that's what God's word is like. Now, back to John chapter one, verse one. What did John call Jesus? What did John call Jesus? The word, right? The word, the word of God, the one who communicates as God, the one who speaks God's truth to us. Now think that through. When we're thinking about Jesus is telling us the truth, the Old Testament says God's word is a light. Jesus says, or John says, Jesus is the word. And what does Jesus say? I am the light. You see how Jesus fulfills all that? It's actually really cool. See, John the Apostle, he was playing 4D chess with us, right? He was, you guys are playing checkers, right? The Apostle John, he was playing some 4D chess right here with, with our brains here. So he's making all these references. There's another reference and another important passage in the Old Testament that I want you to write down, talking about light. It's Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, I think Jesus is also referencing this, and he's stepping into this. When it says he's stepping into it, I want you to imagine uh, that all of these promises about light are like patches. They're like uh, things, pieces of fabric that are woven into like a jacket or something. And they sit there and, and they're that. And there's Isaiah 9 and there's Exodus 3 and Exodus 13. And there's all these different patchwork things that the Old Testament says about light. And Jesus steps on the scene and puts the jacket on and says, that's mine. That's talking about me. I think that's a helpful way of thinking about it because here in Isaiah 9, it says there will be no more gloom, which is a darkness reference, to her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. These are regions up in the north and near the Sea of Galilee that were really oppressed and hurt by, by nations like the Assyrians. It says, but in the latter time, later on, he, God, made glorious or full of light, the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Some interesting light thing is happening in Galilee. And this is promised 600 years before Jesus came. What does verse two say? It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. I think Jesus is claiming to be that too. Remember, what were the Pharisees talking about right before this section? If we go back to John 7, verses 45 all the way to 52, 
they're telling Nicodemus, hey, you're crazy. There's no prophet that arises from Galilee. There's no special person in the Bible that's supposed to come from Galilee. They're all supposed to come from down here in the south. What does Jesus reference? He says, no, no, no. Remember that passage that says there's going to be a light that comes in Galilee? That's me. He's claiming all that. Another passage I want you to write down, Isaiah 42, verses 6 and 7. It's the last Old Testament reference I have for you in this point. But here's what it says. It talks about the mission that God's servant, the Messiah, is going to go on. And here's how it's described. It says, I'll give you a covenant for the people. I'll give you a light for the nations to open the eyes of those who are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, and from prison those who sit in darkness. God promised that he's going to send a figure, a person who will be like a light and won't just be a light for the nation of Israel. He won't just be a light for the people who belong to this group. They're going to be a light to the nations. When Jesus comes along, does he say, I am the light of Israel? He could have said that. That would have been true. He could have said, I am the light for the people who live down here in Jerusalem. I'm a light for you. That would have been true. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, I am the light of the world. That's a reference, I think, right here to Isaiah 42, verses 6 and 7, where God promised that Jesus would be the light to the nations. So when we think about this point, Jesus is our only hope. The reason this is so important is because if you try to look or find truth and life in anything other than Jesus, you will be disappointed. Because Jesus promises here, he is the only person who will tell the truth. I know your parents tell you the truth. I know that I might tell you the truth. I know that people in your life might tell you the truth, but we don't know the whole truth. Jesus is the only one who comes and sheds light on what's going on. Now, I want you to think about this. If you wake up in the morning, like I did this morning, with a light in my face. I woke up with a light in my face. The way I I sleep, my my, my face faces the bathroom. So if Alexandra ever gets up before me and starts getting ready earlier than me, guess what happens when she flips the lights on? Boom, light in my face. Does this ever happen to you? Your parents maybe come in your room and they open up the blinds. It's a classic dad move, you know. All right, get up, get up, everybody. And then they, they come in your room and they, they throw the lights on. And you're like, oh, no, I don't want to face the light, right? It's like, well, that's because it's uncomfortable because it's exposing you. It's making you wake up. It's shaking you out of bed. It's like, no, I'd rather, I'd rather stay asleep. I'd rather stay in my little cocoon. If you think about what a bed is, right, you might never want to leave it. If you think about how cool, like that you're in like these covers and it's all warm and nice and it's just you and then it's dark and you feel nice and you, some of you are dozing off right now going to sleep. I see, Blake, I see you, Blake. I'm just kidding. It's uncomfortably shaken out of that by the light. Well, that's what Jesus is about to do. We've only looked at one verse here in John chapter eight, but you know what's gonna happen? Jesus shines the light in their face and what do they say? I don't wanna have anything to do with that. Look at verse 13. Back in John chapter 8, look at verse 13. This is how the people respond. It says, So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself, and your testimony is not true. You're just talking about this because you're talking about this about yourself. Who can believe anything that someone says about themselves? Do you believe that I can dunk on a 12-foot rim, even if I said it about myself? No. The answer is no. You wouldn't believe me. It's, not, it's outrageous. If I made a big claim about myself, you'd say, Well, you're just bragging. You're just boasting. That's what they're saying about Jesus here. That he's just boasting. He's just bragging. Verse 14, look what Jesus responds. He answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true because I know where I came from and where I'm going. 
You don't know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. What what Jesus is pointing out is when these people look at Jesus and say, you're not telling the truth. The problem is they are judging according to the flesh, which is a weird phrase, but it's important for you to understand. What that means is they are seeing Jesus only through an earthly appearance level view. When they look at Jesus, they say, you can't be the son of God because you just look like us. You just look like a Jewish dude. You can't be the son of God. You can't, I mean, you can't have existed forever because you look like you're 35. There's no way. And that's actually going to come up later on in this chapter. They say, you're not even 50 years old. How can you claim to be better than Abraham? And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, I exist. They didn't like that. They're judging on humanly earthly appearances. They're saying, no, Jesus, you really can't tell the truth because you did not go to school with the Pharisees. See, they know the truth. You don't know the truth because you didn't go to school. You don't have the education. You don't look like it. You don't talk like it. You don't smell like it. There's no way that you are really the son of God. And Jesus says, look, you're just viewing me with a fleshly, earthly, you just got your, you know, your worldly glasses on now. And that's how you're seeing me. You're just viewing me based on the world. He says, but I, when I talk about what the truth is, I judge correctly. He says, I don't even judge anyone at this point. Yet, even if I do judge, this is verse 16, my judgment is true for it's not just me who judges. I'm not alone, but the father who sent me. Then he says, in your law, the law of Moses, it's written that the testimony of two people is true. That can be validated in court. It says, I am the one who bears witness about myself and the father who sent me bears witness about myself. This idea of witness and testimony in the courtroom, we've talked about, especially in John chapter five. Now, Jesus is saying, you're not believing it though. We've talked about how God has witnessed to Jesus. We've talked about how Jesus' miracles. We've talked about how John the Baptist, how all these people told everyone, hey, this is the son of God. And Jesus is saying, you guys just don't want to listen to me. That's the problem. That's the point. It's like people in the darkness, not wanting to have the lights turned on while they're asleep. That's what Jesus says. Now, look at verse 19 or verse 18. He says, I'm the one who bears witness about myself and my father, which is a phrase that's not used that often in the Old Testament about God. It's a little bit of an uncomfortable situation for Jews to think, well, he can't call God his father. That's special. Nobody has God as their, their personal father. That's, that's interesting. Now, verse 19, the Pharisees responded, where is your father? Which is a question that doesn't sound like it's that mean. If I asked you today, where's your father? Right, you'd say, uh, he's in the main service somewhere. He's, he's somewhere on campus. Oh, he's at home. He's with my younger sibling. If I asked you where your father is, you'd probably say that, okay? It'd be really awkward if your father was, was not alive, okay? That's, I think, what's going on with Jesus here. I don't think Jesus' father is alive at this point. I think Joseph is dead, and I think they know that. I think they're making fun of him. They're saying, oh, your father sent you. Oh, right, your relationship with God. Hey, where, where is your father, right? Who's dead, by the way, um, your earthly father. I think they're, they're actually making fun of him. They're poking him. This is not a nice, this is not an innocent question about like, oh, well, where's your dad to, to confirm this with us? It's sarcastic and it's probably really mean. But we know, is Jesus talking about Joseph, his earthly guy who, who raised him, who was married to his mom? No, no, not, not Joseph. That's not who he's talking about. He's talking about the father, God the father. Verse 19 in the middle, it says, Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. You don't even understand who I am. And you know what's even worse? You don't even understand God. That's what Jesus says to these people. He says, if you knew me, you would know my father also. 
Take that in reverse. If you knew God, you would also understand who I am. Verse 20 says, he says these words, he spoke them in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. I just think it's so sad that after Jesus proclaims himself as the light of the world, guess what everybody does? They say, nope, I don't want to see that. I don't want to have anything to do with that. The Pharisees reject him and, and say, no. Well, that's their problem. Okay. What about your problem? Have you rejected the offer that Jesus gives for life for you? Have you been told that Jesus is the light of the world, but instead of embracing him and accepting that and trusting in him and turning from your sin, instead of that, you said, no, 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 no. I'll do that when I'm like, uh, like an adult. I'll do that when I'm 21, 22. Maybe I'll do that when I get married and have a family, but not now. The problem is, if that's where you're sitting right now, as we said at the beginning, that's a state of darkness and Jesus offers the light. And if you say, nope, I don't want the light, then you're going to have to live in darkness. That's a horrible thing to do to Jesus who's offering himself to you. And you're saying, no, I don't want to do that. If this is true of you, and even if it's not true of you, I'd like you to write it down. Point number two, stop rejecting the truth of the gospel. Stop rejecting the truth of the gospel. The gospel is not just good news. It's good news for sure, but it includes some bad news. And the bad news that we're sinners and we deserve punishment and that we can't earn our way to God. All of that was really uncomfortable for the Pharisees. They were like, I don't want to be told I'm not a good person because I'm better than you. I'm more righteous than you. That's what they would have said to you. They did not admit that they were lost. They did not admit, admit that they were blind. They did not admit that they did not know the truth because they thought they had the truth. Imagine back to that situation at winter camp, alone, in the wilderness, no light, no help. At some point, I hope you'd admit, uh-oh, I'm lost. I need to start yelling. I need to start looking for a way back instead of just going on and on and on, going deeper and deeper away from civilization and into more danger. I hope you would turn around and at least look for the light. Now, the crazy thing that happens is, Jesus shines the light before we ever turn around and look. Think about it in that, that illustration. Imagine you're out in the wilderness, the light shines, and you now have the choice. You're either going to turn to the light and follow the light, or you're going to keep walking down the deep path of darkness. That's the choice. And if you're a person who has been rejecting the gospel, just know you have not been staying in the same place. You've been walking deeper, deeper into darkness. And most of you can attest to that by just your life and seeing that the longer you reject Jesus, the more sin you actually accumulate, the more bad habits, the more bad thoughts, the more bad words, the more bad things you end up doing because you're continually rejecting Jesus. The Pharisees started to understand what Jesus was talking about. And I don't want you to look at the Pharisees and say, well, they were just stupid. They just didn't understand. I think they actually did start to understand. And the problem was instead of accepting and embracing the truth of the gospel, they chose to disbelieve and reject the truth. Now, if I asked you, where are you at with the gospel? Where are you at? Are you a person who's embraced the truth of it, but you haven't responded to it? Or are you saying, I don't even believe it's true, and I don't want to have anything to do with it? I think the most common position that most students are in is you've accepted that it's true, like you think in your mind, well, Jesus is the Savior, He is the Lord. I, I believe that in my brain, I, I know that, but... I'm not following him. 
I mean, I, I believe that he is the light. And then if I turned around and I started following him, he, he's there and he's the light. But I don't really want to turn around. I mean, I don't really want to do that. I kind of want to just keep doing my own thing. And if then I asked you, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to, for the rest of your life, keep living in your sin and not turn around to Jesus the light and be saved from your sin? Why would you not? You'd probably say, well, it's because they got a lot of other things going on. It's not that I don't think heaven and hell is a big deal. It's just that I don't want to have to think about that right now. Well, that mindset is exactly what the Pharisees had, and Jesus exposes it in verse 15. He says, you guys judge according to the flesh. I want to take a deeper dive on what that means. What does it mean for us to judge according to the flesh? Maybe are you doing that? Are you judging according to the flesh? Here's what this looks like. It looks like understanding what Jesus says, but saying, well, you know what? I'd rather have my friends than become a Christian. Because when you're, when you're judging according to the flesh, it's like, it's like you're rejecting that eternity is a real thing and that heaven and hell is real. It's like you're rejecting that and only focusing on the here and now. That's what it means to judge according to the flesh. So for these people to embrace Jesus, they'd have to see beyond just the here and now. They'd have to see beyond that and say, whoa, I should embrace Jesus because he's offering life eternal. He's offering a relationship with God. He's offering spiritual life right now. He's offering perfect, perfect righteousness that I will never be condemned for my sin. But, but if you're only focused on the here and now, if you're only focused on your friends, if you're only focused on being popular or being funny or being successful or enjoying sin or anything like that, if you're just focusing on the flesh, your focus is in the wrong place. And that's what Jesus is saying about the Pharisees. I want to ask you, if you're rejecting the truth of the gospel, maybe is that why you've been rejecting the truth? Because you don't want to worry about it? I've talked to a lot of students and they say, well, I just don't want to worry about it right now. I just would love to, have to put it off and worry about it later. Here's the problem, okay? Putting it off later only gets you closer and closer to that judgment. It's, it just means you're walking further and further into the darkness. If you're not going to fall, it just means you're going to walk further in the darkness. And at this point, you might not think that's a big deal because you might not think you're very far. But the problem is, as it says here, if you judge according to the flesh, you will become blind to these spiritual things. And this is kind of skipping ahead, but John chapter 9, what we're going to study in a couple weeks, Jesus heals a blind man. He heals this blind man. The Pharisees start talking to this blind man, and Jesus is having this conversation. And what he says is, hey, I came to actually give the blind sight. And not just in a physical way, but also in a spiritual way. And the Pharisees looked at Jesus, and he said, uh, they said to Jesus, are you saying that we're spiritually blind? And Jesus says, actually, if you saw your need for salvation, you wouldn't be. But because you think you don't need me, you are blind. Yes. I wonder if some of us in our brains think we need Jesus, but with the way we live and the way we trust him, we act like we don't need him. We think, I'll just go through junior high. I'll just live my life. I don't want to have to follow Jesus now. Well, just know if you're doing that, your focus is not on eternity. It's not on what's really important. It's on just the flesh of things, just the here and now. And that's exactly what Jesus is calling out. So I'd call you, if you're a person who keeps putting it off, keeps saying, I'll worry about this when I'm later, get your focus in the right place. Your focus is on your friends. Your focus is on popularity. Your focus is on whatever it is. Get your focus just for a minute, right? And I'd like for it to be for more than a minute, but I want you to focus on eternity. Realize that when we talk about life and heaven and hell, we're not talking about some make-believe fairy tale. We're not talking about ideas. We're talking about reality. Like this is what's going to happen. And here's the problem. 
When Jesus offers this to these people, most of them don't embrace it. And because of that, he has more words to say. Look at verse 21, John 8, 21. Jesus goes on. He, again, he says, I'm going away. I'm going somewhere where you can't find me. And he says, you'll seek me and you will die in your sins. Whoa. These people who reject Jesus. Jesus says, I'm leaving. And at one point in your life, you're going to want me. You're going to realize you need my help. But when you realize that, it's going to be too late. That reason is enough. I think for you and I to say, we cannot stop rejecting the truth of the gospel. You cannot stop rejecting. Because what Jesus says is at some point, you'll realize your need for Jesus. But for a lot of people, it'll be too late. Because most people, just about everyone, when they stand before God, they're going to realize, I need Jesus to cover my sin. And what Jesus says is, at some point, you'll seek me. And when you seek me, later on, when you're about to be punished for your sin, and you, you cry out, oh, Jesus, help me now. Jesus says, it's going to be too late for you. Because you lived in your sin, and you're going to die in your sin. That's intense. It says, where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, verse 22, they take that idea that Jesus says, he says, the Jews said to Jesus, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. Now they start to understand he's talking about death. They get that. But here's the irony in all this. Is it true that Jesus is going to die? Yes, that's true. That's what he's talking about. They think that Jesus might kill himself. And because they think they're righteous, where do you think they're going when they, when they die? When in their brains, they think I'm going to heaven, right? I'm going with God. And that's why when they say maybe he wants to kill himself, they're thinking, well, if he kills himself, God will reject him and he'll go to hell. And that's a place I could never go. That's what the Pharisees are thinking. The problem is are, they're right in a sense that Jesus is going to die and that Jesus is going to be a place where he, they can't go. But the problem is they're switched, Okay? And that's why John is giving us this irony here. It's a lot like when John includes something that that pilot wanted written above Jesus's head. Do you remember what, what it was in three different languages above Jesus's head? It says, Jesus, the king of the Jews. That was irony. He's saying, ha, the king of the Jews, right. And then when the Pharisees said, no, 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 we don't want that to be put there. Pilate says, I, I wrote what I wrote. It's going to stand. And he meant it as a joke. But guess what the truth was? It's true. It's true. Jesus was the king of the Jews, just like this ironic truth is true, that Jesus was going to go somewhere where they could not come. They thought he was going to hell, but he thought, and he knew the truth. That's actually where they were going. Verse 23, Jesus said, the reason for all this is because you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. When you were born, you came into a world just like I did. I came in the same world you did, same way you did. And we are from below, in the sense. There's one person that's from above, and that's Jesus, who lived an eternal life before he ever came to earth. One person to do that. That's just Jesus. He says, you're from below, I'm from above, which means we are limited in our capacity to know what happens beyond, right? We're limited. We have to trust the person who was existing before and exists after. Verse 24, Jesus said, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Unless you trust in me and who I am. And right when he says, I am he, it's like, okay, what, what do you mean? I'm he. Are they saying Jesus' name is he? Like, should we call him he from now on? Uh, no, that's not what he's saying. That word, that phrase in Greek is the same word and phrase, which means God's name in the Old Testament. Jesus is saying, unless you believe that I'm Yahweh, unless you believe that I am 
the I am of Exodus 3. Unless you believe that that's who I am, you will never see life. So that's why, for, in a sense, we have to recognize the truth of the gospel. It's a lot like going to a mirror in the middle of the night. You guys ever walked up to a mirror, maybe in the bathroom in the middle of the night, and not want to turn the light on because it was too bright? I have this struggle. Uh, the problem is, when I go to a mirror early in the morning when it's dark outside, and there's no light in the room, and I want to see stuff in the mirror, the problem is I can't see anything because there's no light. Maybe I can see a little bit because there's a little bit of light. But if it was pitch black, completely dark, you wouldn't be able to see anything without light. You wouldn't be able to see the truth about yourself, even if it's truth that you had to fix. Even if it's things that were not good about yourself, you wouldn't be able to see it. Jesus shines the light on them and reminds them, that's who I am. I told you that unless you believe that I'm God, you will not see life. Verse 25. So they said to him, who are you? Right? And there's a lot of tone in that. Who, who are you? They catch what Jesus just said. That Jesus just said, unless you believe that I am who I am, Yahweh, that you can't go to heaven. And they said, whoa, 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 hold on, time out. Who are you again? What did you just claim to be? The problem is, this is what Jesus has been talking about the whole time. Think about it. the entire sermon has all been about Jesus saying who he was on the light of the world. All this. So Jesus kind of replies to their snarky question with another snarky answer. He says, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I've been telling you guys. And he says, I have much more to say and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I heard from him. He's talking about the father. Verse 27, John adds a little parentheses here, but they did not understand that he was speaking to them about the father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he, that I am who I am, that I'm God. Once you lift up the son of man. Now, what does that mean? In the gospel of John, we've already seen that in John chapter three, verse 14. Jesus says that the son of man, Jesus will be lifted up. When was Jesus lifted up before the world? With arms to his side, pierced to a post. When was he lifted up? When he died on the cross, right? What he says is you guys will not even understand who I am until you see the son of man lifted up, until you see me die on a cross. And there's, I think, a double meaning to this. When John says the phrase lifted up, I don't think he just means on the cross. I think he also means when he's lifted up in another sense to his place before he came to earth, till he's exalted, till everyone sees him as the king of kings. And as Paul said in Philippians chapter two, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That doesn't mean everyone's going to be right with him though. That just means you're going to understand at some point that Jesus was everything he said he was. When the son of man is lifted up, then you will know that I am he. And also you'll figure out that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. God is still with me. And he's not left me alone for I always do the things that please him. I don't know what your reaction to this speech would be if you were in the audience originally. Right? I don't know what my reaction would be, but I know that I'd be called to a response. I need to either embrace Jesus as the truth or I need to reject him and say, I'm not about that life. Now in verse 20, it talks about how there was a lot of people there that listened, but it doesn't indicate that anyone believed in him. Now in verse 30, Look what it says. We got some good news here. Look what it says about these people. It says, and as he was saying these things, many believed in him. I think he got some of his first followers in Jerusalem right here when many people believed in him when he said these things. He's talking about living in the darkness, living in their sin, or turning to Jesus. He's talking about repentance mainly here. Point number two was all about rejecting the truth. 
Point number three is about your response to embracing the truth. I want you to write this down for point number three. Give up on your sin. Give up on your sin. Leave it behind and follow Jesus. I think that's what John was, or Jesus was getting at in John 8, 12 to begin with. If you recognize that I'm the light and you're living in the darkness of sin and unbelief and things that are not true, falsehood. If you turn to me, you will step out of darkness and you'll walk into light. And that's the imagery that's important in the Bible. Living in darkness, once we recognize that Jesus is the light, we step out of the darkness into the light. It's like a shift that happens. The Apostle John loves that. He talks about it all the time in 1 John. But also, there's a verse earlier in this gospel that says the exact same thing that I want you to write down. It's John chapter 3, verse 36. Maybe it's even more clear. It says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. It's not that the wrath of God will be on him one day, but the wrath of God stays on him. That's why the darkness illustration is very helpful for us. Because when we're in the dark, guess what's all around us? Darkness, no light. We're in darkness, no light. Once we step into the light, then we're in the light. But until light comes, we're in the darkness. That's what it means to give up our sin. To say, well, you know what? I recognize that Jesus shines the light, the truth that my sin is bad, I need to give it up. Now I'm willing to step into the light and, and, and get rid of the sin. Leave the sin in the darkness. Be done with it. Problem with that is some of us never want our sin to be exposed. Right? I think that's another big reason maybe some of you don't want to follow Jesus because if you follow Jesus, then you have to admit the sinful things that you were doing that maybe you think your parents don't know about. Things maybe you say at school that your parents would be shocked to hear that you, you say. Things like that. Things you've seen things you listen to, you'll have to actually admit all those things and bring those into the light and then leave them behind. Here's the problem. A lot of people are self-deceived into thinking that what they do will never be found out. Hebrews chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13, God's word says that no creature, no person is hidden from God's sight. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. It says in all people, are naked and exposed. That's what it looks like to God. That he sees right through everything. He sees right through every excuse, right through every lie that you tell your parents. He knows exactly what's going on. He's not fooled by anything. The problem is, all of that is apparent to God, all exposed before the eyes to him whom we must give account to. What that means is, he's the judge and he's the boss and all of our stuff is already exposed to him. It's a lot like the evidence already being there. Have you ever had to stand in front of your parents? Maybe they're getting you in trouble or something happened at home. And maybe you and your sibling stand up and your parents cross-examine you and say, what, what just happened? What, why is this thing broken? And they hold the evidence that it's broken. But you and your sibling might say, well, they did it. They started the fight. They, and it's all this confusing mess of like, well, what's going on? Your parents have to like decide like, what's going on? What happened? It'd be really helpful if they knew exactly what happened. If there's maybe some camera or something that exposed exactly what happened. The problem is when we think about God, we think that maybe we can come to God and give some excuses like, well, but you know, I just had this hard time and well, you made me that way. So like, I don't know, like maybe, maybe that's why I did the sin. And God says, stop it. I see right through it. I know exactly what happened. I know your heart. I know all the sin that you're hiding. John chapter three, Jesus said, you need to bring that sin into the light. John chapter 3, we're going to look at this in small groups this week, 
but it's a helpful one to turn to before we were closed this morning. John chapter 3, verse 18. I want you to turn there. Hopefully you're in John 8. Just turn over to the left a few pages. John 8, John 3, 18. Same theme. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, you believe in the Son, you're not going to be condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. You're still in darkness? Well, then you're, you're still in that place. Because he did not believe in the name of the Son, or in the name of the only Son of God. Verse 19. This is where we're really hitting at. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. And what kind of people would want the power to go out forever at nighttime? What kind of people do you think would want the power to go out at everybody's home? Probably the criminals, right? Probably people who want to go and steal stuff. They'd want the power to go out. They'd want your alarm systems to turn off, and they'd want your lights to be out, and they'd want the secrecy of all that so they could do all their evil things in the darkness. That's what this is saying. When Jesus shines a light on your life and through his word exposes your sin, if you want to keep on sinning, you hate, you hate it when Jesus points out your sin. And that's maybe how you usually feel when you're confronted or, or convicted of your sin. It just makes you uncomfortable. You just hate it. These wicked people, they, they don't want to come to the light because their works will be exposed. But verse 21, this is hope for you. And I hope that this verse right here could be the thing that leads some of you guys to really put your faith in Jesus Christ. This verse right here, John 3, 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I just really hope, and it's something I pray for you guys very often, that you would see that all the reasons to follow Jesus are so much better than the reasons not to. And that if you have a list of reasons why you don't want to become a Christian, I would bet that all of those things are just what Jesus calls judging according to the flesh, just focusing on the here and now. But if you really have the capacity to see beyond that and realize that following Jesus is something that's more important, more lasting than anything else, I hope you'll give up your sin, whatever it is, however bad it is, confess it, bring it to God, admit that you've done all those things, and then ask him to forgive you and ask him to save you because he is the light. Imagine you're in that darkness again. Think about it. In that dark place, out in the wilderness, alone, cold, hungry, scared, in serious danger of things out there that might get you, or just in the cold itself. And then you see a light, and you hear someone calling you, and someone wanting to save you, someone pursuing you. What do you do? And how horrible would it be to run away from the light? How horrible would it be for the person who's coming to save you, but worse than that, just for you? That'd be worse for you. If you love life and you want to live, you have to turn to Jesus, period. That's it. He's the light of the world, which is good news for us. People living far away at a time that feels a lot different than 2,000 years ago in a country on the other side of the world, that you can come to Jesus and be forgiven of your sin. Now let's pray that that's what happens for more of us. Let's pray right now. God, I ask you to continue to reveal this to these students. Pray that some of them who know they're not right with you, that know they're not Christians, I pray that they would 
understand that they would not judge according to the flesh and just worry about what they're eating for lunch or worry about what's going on at school this week. I pray that they would take time out of that, as important as that may seem to them, to think about their eternity. God, we confess we do not think about eternity enough. I confess that for myself. I just pray that this week as we think about our lives, living them before you, as they're exposed before your eyes and person we're going to have to give account to. And just pray that we not try to fool you or fake you out or anything like that, because that's just foolish. It doesn't work. Just pray that more of these students would see that Jesus, you are the light of the world and they can follow you. If they want to become Christians. That's something that they do in a moment. They turn to you. They ask you to forgive them. They confess their sin. They ask you to save them, to do something that only you can do. Please keep showing that to these students. And I pray for some of them who know that they're right there. Pray that you convict their hearts and they turn to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. This is something we're going to talk about at small groups. But if you need to talk to someone else before that, you got some leaders here that want to talk to you. So with that, you guys are dismissed. We'll see you guys on Wednesday night. Tender